G'day everyone. So today our Bible reading is from Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 24. So if you've got your Bible, I'll just give you a couple seconds. Alrighty, yes, so that's Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of the Spirit, uh, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows the son, who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Well, we are going into a new series, and this series is called 72123, and some of you will pick up, have picked up already. These are not my Powerball numbers on a Saturday night. Um, this is not my, my uh, security system numbers at home, and if they are your numbers, I didn't get them from you. Um, they are actually the um, numbers that correlate to the concentric circles of, um, of Jesus' sphere of influence, I suppose, and we'll, we'll go into that. Because over the next three weeks, we're going to explore these 
these sort of Jesus' interaction with these numbers of people and, and how that relates to who we are and this ongoing journey of discipleship. We've got a diagram that's going to come up on the screen now and, and this sort of gives us a visual sort of understanding of what I'm talking about, uh, of these numbers. Um, first of all, from the inside working out, we have Jesus in a continual relationship. That's the number one down the bottom. Jesus in a continual relationship with his Father. He, he retreats, he finds solitude and he ministers out of a, a deep, loving relationship with God, with his Father. It, 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 we talked about it over the last few weeks. We need to have an emotionally healthy spirituality. We need to have a spirituality that, that walks on a daily basis, um, step by step with God. It can't be done just on a, on a basis of a five-minute devotion in the morning and hoping the rest of it all fall into place. It's a, it's a continual, ongoing, devotional life, a love of, of Christ, which when we miss, uh, we, we, just, we, we miss. We want to go, yes, I've got to be a part of that. It's the beginning point of, for all Christians. Our, our relationship with God is number one. It's up to you to do that. Your relationship with God is vital. You are the one that works that out. You're the one who can deepen that relationship with God. I can't do that. I can't do that. Your next door neighbour can't do that. The person on the seat next to you can't do that. It's got to be your role to nurture your relationship with Christ. We can get help from friends and family and being at church, but you've got to take the initiative to nurture that relationship. As a baby, Kyra would sit in my arms and I'd give her her milk and I used to love that time. She would totally rely on myself or Solari to make sure that the milk was uh, given to her. She couldn't go and make it herself. She depended upon us for her milk. But as a six-year-old, she no longer... She no longer fits in my arms, let alone can be in my arms. She, she no longer sits there and I no longer shove milk in her face. She would just go, Dad, what are you doing? She comes to the table and uses a knife and fork and is fed now on meat. Meat that sustains her, uh, gives her the nutrients that she needs. It goes way beyond the milk. And that's what we must do as well as people of faith. We must be fed in a way that we are not fed when we first became followers of Christ. We have to move from milk to meet, growing up into maturity in Christ. That's our one-to-one relationship with God. People are helpful in that relationship. That's our one-to-one sort of thing based on God's love for you and your love back for God. That's the beginning point. That's where we start. But as we expand out in this uh, diagram, we start to see there are numbers of people who are part of this circles and sort of concentric, I didn't put them in the middle, but this concentric circles of Jesus' influence. And we start with the three, the three who Jesus most confided in. They were Peter, James and John. And it seems they were the ones that he, he was closest to. I won't say favourites because I'm not sure they had favourites, but they're the ones he seemed to be closest to. They're the ones who were by Jesus' side in the key moments of his life. They were there at the transfiguration. They were the, the ones that Jesus allowed into that special space. They were there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. They're the only three that were allowed into that room at that time to be with him. And they were the three that were invited to um, come along when Jesus was praying his final prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're the ones that fell asleep. Jesus seems to draw on these three, the closest friends, through the times which were most painful. 
which were most special, which are most important to him. Jesus needed them and confided in them. In a couple of weeks' time, Jordan's going to be preaching exactly on, on this. He's going to unpack this number and help us to see the importance of three. The next circle, we see the 12, and you've already picked it up. They are the disciples who we know and we love. A band of men who came from different backgrounds, different cultural experiences, and if you had brought them together to play a game of soccer, they would have been a bunch of people that wouldn't have sort of clicked very well, maybe. They probably wouldn't have even crossed paths. Yet with Jesus as their, their, their central sort of, um, sort of base, they all followed and became friends on this path of understanding what it meant to follow Christ. They were the ones that Jesus really fed into on a daily basis. And, and next week we'll unpack the importance of having a, a deepening relationship and discipleship relationship with a smaller group of people. A smaller group, sort of, I suppose, moving closer together in Christ. Then with the third circle, we've got the 72. Some versions in your Bible might say 70. Um, don't get hung up about that too much. We're not going to unpack that so much, but don't get too hung up about it. We just know that there's this next group of people. There were times where, um, the, the, and we're going to hear more about this from Luke 10 but, um, and unpack that a little bit today, but, but going beyond that 72, there were these crowds, and it's, it's stuck in a circle there, but the crowds probably didn't even need a circle. It's just sort of, they're there, aren't they? And, and there were these big t- times where Jesus spoke to 5,000s and to 4,000s, and people were around him all the time, listening in. The, the Sermon on the Mount, where people just gathered and hearing these new ideas, countercultural ideas. And you wonder how many people's lives were changed in that crowd as they listened to Jesus, who maybe they didn't make that transition to being part of that 72 or being really that follower, but, but perhaps one or two or 10 or 20 or 30. Maybe there's a whole lot of those people that had followed Jesus on the way that came to know, uh, that were baptised with the disciples at the day of Pentecost. We don't know what that was going to be like, but perhaps that was the crowd that was there. What we do know is that Jesus interacted with these distinct groups of people, and each of them had different growth experiences as disciples. So as we look at these three groups of people that Jesus interacted with, my hope is that we will also see how who we are as disciples of Christ will grow us, will help develop one another, and will be able to send us out into Christ's mission. So as we look at the 72... We're going to to really focus in and call on their faithfulness. They're called to be faithful rather than successful as they step out into discipleship. If you've got your Bibles, open open it up to Luke chapter 10, then flick a page back to Luke chapter 9. And if we go to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62, we see Jesus is walking the road with some people. We can gather that there are a few walking along the road because he has interactions with different people that they're not named, they're not told, we're not really told who they are, probably beyond the 72. Because these people come to him and and sort of ask him about what it means to be a follower 
of, of, of him? What does it look like to, to follow Jesus as such? For one man, Jesus tells him that the, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Even foxes and birds have somewhere to sleep, but the Son of Man doesn't. That's what it's going to be like to follow me. Are you really interested in doing that? It's going to be tough. To another, he says, don't, don't go bury your father. Don't do that. Let the be- dead bury their own dead. That, that sounds a little bit harsh even. But that's a cost. I can't go to be with my family. I can't fulfill my birthright as a son. Rather, I've got to go proclaim the kingdom of God. Is that a cost that you're willing to take? And to another, when asked if they could just go and say goodbye, can I just go say goodbye to my family? His response seems really harsh. No one puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's a massive cost to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not going to be all about roses and chocolates. The cost will be massive. But you know, when there's a cost to something, it's generally worth it. I remember we ran a, a conference when we were sort of teenagers and it was, um, we got excited and we thought this is going to be the, the best thing in the world. And we ran this free event, we had all this food and we found out a really hard truth. And when you run a free event, people don't come all the time because it's free. They think, oh, it's just going to be another thing. We could go, we don't need to go. But when you put a cost to something, they go, actually, this is what I want to be involved in. It's going to be good. It's important. Putting a cost on something makes it worthwhile, and having a cost to following Christ is worthwhile. For those who followed Jesus closely, they understood this cost, but they saw the great blessing that came from it as well. So it's directly after Jesus explaining this in chapter 9 that we find he appoints these 72, these 72 that are following him. And verse 1 of chapter 10 says that he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being included in this 72? You were picked by Jesus. So it probably means that you were known somewhat to Jesus. You've been following along with him. You've been on that journey, perhaps a little bit more distant than the 12, but you've been taking in the teachings that he's been giving. And you're a part of this sort of closer, a little bit closer than the crowd. Not so much the crowd of the 12, or in the 12. And Jesus talks then about the cost of following. You might have overheard, gee whiz, that guy's not going to follow because he can't go and say goodbye to his family. But I've done that already, I'm following. And he says, all right, you're part of this 72 that is going to go out. And I'm going to send you. And I'm going to go send you to places that I have not yet been. Wouldn't it have been easier if Jesus said, I'm going to send you to the place where we were a few weeks ago. Who, who saw, they all saw me do these miracles. They all saw me do this stuff. They heard a bit of my teachings. I'll send you back there because that'll be really easy for you. Because all you have to do is go into the places, knock on the door and go, hey, do you, do you remember when Jesus came and, and, and sort of Uncle Joe down the road was healed and, 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 and we had a meal over there and he taught about this? Do you remember that? Hey, do you want to hear a little bit more about that? That would have been easy for the 72, wouldn't it? That would have been so much easier. Yet, that's not what he asked to do. Can you fathom what he was asking the 72? He's asking them to go ahead of me. Go ahead of himself to every town, seek peace, and be, uh, and be a blessing to that household. Prepare the way for Jesus. It sounds a little John the Baptist-like, doesn't it? At least this time, he got to bring a friend 
<laughs> it sends them out in twos. We're going to see that Jesus sends these, these disciples out, not on a mission for what success would look like. Rather, it's a mission of faithfulness. It was about discipleship, helping these followers to grow in faith. Something today that we're going to see is the essence of what Jesus sees as the disciple. You see, a disciple and is a learner. It's a follower. The actual word is used as someone who adheres to the teachings of someone else. It was not just for the 12 or the 72. It referred to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. It's, it's like an apprentice builder doesn't just go on day one and builds, to start hammering randomly and, and builds a whole house, do they? But as a disciple, he'll learn from the builder who has already done the hard yards, has learned all the things that they need to do and show them how they can make the house. And in time, the apprentice will become the leader, I suppose. When we apply it to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him in order to live like him and live out his ways on earth. We've got the blessing today of being able to study the scriptures, to hear about or to read about uh, the miracles that he performed, to speak the truth that, that were, or to hear about the truth that he spoke that were nearly scandalous at the time. It was a life um, that, that we were able to see in our scriptures. But these people, they had to walk the road with Jesus. They had to see his interactions with others. They had to listen and to take it in and to understand it, living in the culture that they lived. It was a life that meant leaving their occupations that they had, maybe good occupations, starting a new life, learning about the teaching of Jesus. And for Jesus, sending these 72 into the places where he'd not yet been, that was saying, you go in faith. I'm sending you in faith, and we are called to that same faith. Each day, we're called to step out into our world, into the places where Jesus has never been, and to interact with people who have never heard the good news of, of Jesus Christ, and that never have had the opportunity to take in his teachings or understand his presence. And so in this text, I'm going to bring about three, three sort of areas, three things that Jesus asked of his disciples that hopefully we can put out into our lives as we step out and go as well. The first thing Jesus asked them to do is that he asked them to pray. Luke 10 verse 2 says this, He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. As we read this text, we're taken by the fact that Jesus is sending the disciples out. We don't know them by name, but we can gather that they were on this journey of, of faith with Jesus. As Jesus sends them out, the first thing he asks them to do, though, is to pray. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest. The New King James Version of Scripture says, Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, Jesus understands the importance of harvesting at the right time. When the fields are ripe with a great crop, that's the time to harvest. Harvesting, in essence, therefore, has a limitation on it, doesn't it? A time limitation. Our Jasper, um, 11-year-old Jasper, he has um, two garden beds out in the backyard of our house. 
And, and our garden beds, he put in all this corn and beans and all this sort of stuff. And it was, it was looking great. It was an amazing thing. And we put some netting over the top to stop the birds coming in. However, that netting wasn't good enough to stop our five chickens from deciding that they wanted to have a, a good peck through the, um, the, the, the garden bed. And they dug up all the corn. They got all the, the worms that were in there. So Jasper decided, I'm going to make sure that the chickens won't get in to get the rest of this crop. And so he built a fortress around the garden bed. It literally was a bamboo fortress. And, and uh, he put a watering system in there so we didn't have to pull it apart each time and, and go water it. And so there's this, this garden bed that's got this massive, uh, it's got a net over the top, and it's got this massive bamboo around it, which is really great. The chickens have not been able to get in. They've tried. They really tried, but they have not been able to get in. But the trouble was, we can't get in either. <laughs> We'd seen the, the runner beans that started growing through the top of the netting, and it's growing really well, but we couldn't tell when it was time to go out and harvest the beans. By the time we went, oh, let's have a look at these beans, it was too late. We missed the harvest. The fruit was ripe then, but the harvest wasn't taken in. So to harvest, Jesus understood that needs to be times for people to harvest. There needs to be people to plough the fields, to pick the runner beans at the right time. So Jesus first, he gets these 72 to pray. Pray that there'll be more people for the harvest. That is gonna, there's going to be a bumper crop. There's going to be people that want to know more about why you're sent out. This crop's going to be amazing. It's ready to go. So you need to pray that there's more people because you alone are not going to be able to do it. Jesus, he, he's got an eye to the future here. Thousands will be coming to faith at some stage. And we need more people to harvest that, that crop. We need more people to nurture and care the disciples, to move them from nurture and care these new people in, in faith, to, nurture, to grow them from milk to meat as well. So pray now. Pray now that as you go into these new places, as you seek to share your journey with Christ into these new places, pray that others will join in on this journey, that they will become God's harvesters as well for this bumper crop that God is preparing. We have to wrestle with a little bit of this though, don't we? Because there's a tension between God's sovereignty and our humanity here. Our prayers make a difference in the kingdom of God, don't they? God is interested in the prayers of his disciples. God asks them to pray that there'll be more people to come along. God longs to have people connected in to the kingdom work of harvesting the crops that are ready. And he asks his disciples to pray. God could have done all that work on his own. God could have brought more people along. We know he could do that. Yet God made the choice to empower his disciples, those who follow, to pray that the world would grow in love for Christ. That the world would be impacted by this message. And it's not just the 72 that went out in faith, but pray for more to keep going out. It's a prayer that we need to be praying as well. We live in more than ever now in Australia, we live in a post-Christendom society. Now what that means is that Christianity has become more the minority and churches are becoming more on the margins of society. It brings many challenges for the church, and not just Kilsar South Baptist Church, but the church in Australia. 
And it means that we need to continue to explore ways of adapting and changing to be able to become part of a society that increasingly doesn't understand or know who Jesus is. People that don't have a concept of it, kids that grow up not ever seeing a Bible until someone or a friend when they get to uni tells them a little bit about it. It's a challenge, but it also brings opportunity. Opportunity to speak good news and new good news into a culture. To be like this 72, to go out into the world that has no idea of Jesus and speak love, speak grace, to speak peace into their lives. And so therefore we must pray for more labourers. We must pray that, that, that more people will join in on this mission to go. Invite God into that conversation and then we shouldn't be surprised when God brings more labourers. So as disciples of Christ, don't just pray that the church will grow. Don't just pray for abundance in the harvest. Don't just pray for those who don't know Jesus, but pray for more workers to share the message to the lost. The second thing that Jesus asks them to do, is, or he does, is he gives them a task. He gives them a task in Luke 10, chapter 3. Go, I'm sending you out like wolves, like lambs among wolves. Sometimes when you go out, who goes, does anyone do a lot of running? I know David does a lot of running. Um, I, I really don't run. I want to in my mind. I think it's a good idea. The concept's great. But the hardest part about going for a run is that very first step. Yeah? It's the step out. The lure to stay curled up in your own warm bed, especially on a crisp morning. The hassle of getting into your running gear, um, stepping out in the cold. It's hard. That first step is hard. But once the run has start, started, some might even say it's enjoyable. Not me, but some might say it's enjoyable. You know, in verses 3 to 9, the disciples get a, a list of things to do. So don't get bogged down in how much you take on your journey. Don't take a burst or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road because you've got to get to your destinations. Just keep going. Don't be hindered by these things. Jesus tells them in verse 5 that the, um, when you, what, what you do, when you get there, say peace to this house. In verse 7 it says, if their peace has been accepted, then stay. Eat, drink whatever they offer you. That's going to be your payment. That's what you deserve. Jesus says not to move from house to house. Stay where you've been accepted. And in verse 9, it tells, them, tells the disciples, heal their sick. There's something else to do. We're not really told where Jesus sends these people specifically. However, we know it's a place where Jesus hasn't already been. It was preparing the way for Jesus. Perhaps they were all Jewish towns that had yet to hear this message. Yet I think that Jesus is preparing the disciples even further here, especially in how they are to accept the hospitality that's afforded to them. Twice Jesus says, in verse 7 and 8, he says, eat and drink what is offered to you. Perhaps it's a call to be content in the circumstance you find yourself in. Maybe not every place that the disciples went was going to be a fine dining experience. And when the 72 come back, they didn't go, oh, I had the steak and, and beans, and oh, I just had the bread and the water. <laughs> Be content with what is said. Perhaps even in their Jewish roots, the, the standards of, of, of preparation may not have been what they were used to. But accept it. Accept what it comes your way. 
And as the harvest sort of spread to Gentile nations, where, where what was being eaten had become a, a big, or becomes a big problem to the, the, the new Jewish Christians, the church became divided. And maybe Jesus was saying, this early, don't let that divide you. Paul devotes Romans 14 to that issue. In verse 3 it says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them all. I think Jesus maybe is, is, is saying that now and Paul recalls Jesus' words. Because these disciples, they're called to an acceptance of all that they come across. All the food that they come through. So the disciples, they're tasked specifically in what they are to do and what they are to accept. Yet, that's all good. But the first step, like the jog, is the hardest part. And that's the first word in verse 3, go. It's a precursor to the Great Commission, isn't it? We also are sent, we're told to go. Jesus says, go into all the world. But going, it takes courage. Going takes faith. Going means that we may not know what the road ahead looks like. These, need, these disciples, they need to take that first step out in faith. But it doesn't come without a warning, and it's not a great warning, because Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. As I said before, we've got chickens now. We've got five of the things, and they're just wonderful. We love them to bits. They're not just egg-producing chickens, they're pets. And the kids run after them and chase them and cuddle them, and the chickens always want to be inside our house. We don't let them in our house, but when the door's left open, you see them start scurrying around the, the floors because, I don't know, maybe our floors are dirty and they like pecking at our floors. Who knows? But these chickens are our pets. They, they are, we love them, but we know that there are foxes around because the next door neighbor's chickens got taken by foxes. So if we don't get home in time to put our chickens away and shut the, the cage, we know that there's danger. There's great danger because the foxes will go and get those chickens in no time. They can smell them from miles away. Keeping them out, keeping those foxes out would be like, uh, or keeping the, the chickens out, I mean, um, in the night, would be like sending these lambs into the wolves. It's almost a fatal flaw. The warning to the 72 to go out in this way is important because it's a warning to remind them that, that this message isn't going to be accepted by everyone. This message it may, may end up with you being greeted with a, a slammed door. Not all people will listen to you. In fact, many might mock you. You might even be persecuted for the message that you give. But Jesus still says, go. I think that Jesus is more interested in the faith of, of going, taking that first step, than the success of the mission. You know what? If, if you come back and every door was closed to you, you still took that step. That these disciples take the first step as hard as it may be. And, and the success, well, that's up to God. Because verse 3 tells us who he's sending out, but also who is, being, who is commissioning them to go. He says, Jesus says, go, you're going to be like lambs to the wolves. So it's going to be tough, but there's a little bit in there. It says, I am sending you out. I'm sending you out. Jesus says, go, but trust that it's me that's sending you. Our task is to go in Jesus' name, not in, in, in Pete's great ideas or in your own strength. Go in Jesus' name. He is sending us out. He is saying, pray, ask the Lord for more people to take you on this, to come on this journey as well. But he is sending us out and go, 
Don't be afraid of what's ahead because I am commissioning you to get out there. I like the thought that Jesus is giving us that same message today. You're called to go as a disciple of Christ, to be faithful, regardless of how the message was received. That's up to, up to God. Allow God to, to work in that space. But Jesus says, go. The third thing that Jesus shares with them is, is he says there's a message that you've got to share as well. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 10. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is the message Jesus asked the disciples to share on their journey. They're to heal the sick first, and then when Jesus he sent the, in, in chapter 9, um, uh, the previous chapter, he sent out the disciples uh, and in the same way, the twelve. And he said that he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure disease and to heal the sick. We don't hear that with the 72 on the following chapter, in chapter 10. We're not told they've given that authority. But when they return with stories of demons submitting them to them in verse 17, Jesus says this, he says, authority to trample on, he's given them authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. So go heal the sick. It's in his name. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you, verse 9. And it's the same message that John the Baptist had been sharing as well. John the Baptist's message was of a future hope, wasn't it? And it's the same now with the 72. We too are given a message to share. Our story of personal faith, of where God interacts with us, a message of hope that announces the kingdom of God is near. The 72, they must share this. They're to be bold because they've been sent out in Jesus' name with a message. And Christ is coming. We're also going to be willing to do that as well. To share the message that Jesus has given us. To share the stories of our lives. Of how Christ has interacted with who we are. And in verse 16, Jesus gives us that confidence to go. It says this. Luke 10, 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. We can share our stories, what God's doing confidently. Because, because when our story is a gospel story, Christ is the one that's being accepted or rejected, not me. It means that everything that I say to someone who knows nothing about Christ and starts to hear my story is all about Jesus. It's about the messenger. It takes all the pressure off me to have the articulation or the right words or, because I'm sharing a story of what God's done in my life. And if it's accepted, fantastic, because Christ is accepted. If it's rejected, that's okay. Pray for that person and move on to the next house. It gives us confidence to take that step out in faith, doesn't it? Not to consider success of the mission, but rather stepping out in faithfulness to our God. So these 72, they're asked to pray, they've been given a task, and they have a message to share. So what does it mean for us here at KSBC? You know, as I prepared this message, uh, I was taken back to a series that um, I shared with, with you at, in my first sort of few months of being here at the church, a couple of years back. It popped up. It pops up every now and again. It's the series that we talk about, the Blessed series, about being a blessing to others. And it really connects us back to the idea that we're sent 
into our neighbourhoods as image bearers of Christ, into the small spaces that we live. We talk about the impact of knowing our neighbours' names, of sending them cards, of, of helping them when they're needing something, of doing the little things more often. I wonder if this is the front, in the front of your mind as we hear about the 72. That go into the places that Jesus is wanting to go. Maybe it's in your school. Maybe it's in your university, your workplaces. Maybe it's your neighbourhoods, wherever it might be. I wonder if we can be bold enough to share how Jesus has blessed us as we bless others. I wonder if that means you need to write down your own story. Because I'd love to think that as a church who is praying for others to join us on this journey, is able to share stories of goodness with those who don't know Jesus. I wonder, can we do that? Because as the disciples came back, there there were no stories of how great they had been. I was so good when I knocked on that door and they came forward and I shared and I healed and I did this. There was no stories like that. They didn't even come back gloating about it. Verse 17 says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. They returned home with joy. They stepped out in faith and returned with joy. They came home excited in the name of Jesus. Demons submitted to them. Their, their, their excitement wasn't about their success. Rather, it was about the faith that they saw turn into something great because of what Jesus had done seeing God move through their faithfulness. My hope is that we find that same joy, that as we step out in faith, as we learn our neighbours and chat to our neighbours, as we, as we find the, um, the people that we start to connect with that don't know Jesus, that, that stepping out in faith, not focused on the success, rather focused on faithfully sharing, allowing Jesus to do what Jesus does best. And we can see how God works in and through us. That's where joy comes from. May we be people who go and find joy in it. Let me pray. Our Lord, we thank you for the the words that you've um, shared with the 72 to go. And Lord, sometimes it can be scary. looks like that we're going into this world that um, might look like it'll lead us alive. But God, we go not in our own strength, but in your strength. To share, to witness, to heal, to love, to bless. And God, may we not be focused on the successes of of mission, but may we be focused on our faithfulness to you. And may you reap that harvest that is so prevalent out in our world. Bless us as we're a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.